Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. Hey, homies, it's Carly. So glad you're here. This is the official podcast of Intentional House, where we drool over helping families design and maximize their homes to be wonder-filled connection magnets. How was your week, you guys? I hope it was great. My week's been pretty good. Been deep diving into decluttering my master bedroom. I know. It makes me want to curl up in a ball sometimes and cry, but it's been wonderful, actually. I have this secret love affair with decluttering, and uh, it goes back and forth between wanting to cry in the fetal position in the corner, but also likes being strangely addicted to it, where I stay up until two in the morning, you know, reorganizing drawers and dressers and closets and all the things. So it's been really fun, you know, net, net positive experience. And I have come up with a few things that have made the biggest difference in my master bedroom. So I want to remember these. And in case this is helpful to anybody out there, um, here's what I have found to make the biggest difference when I'm decluttering in my bedroom. The first is if I can keep my closet floor clear, everything feels so much more organized in my closet. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be the entire closet floor, but just the front part of the floor completely clear so that I can step into my closet. I can see all of my clothes. I'm not stepping over anything. I'm not trying to navigate around shoes. Like if all of my shoes have a space to sit in, if all of my stuff is off the floor, if my laundry has a great place to be, man, clean floors make all the difference. And this principle actually goes with a whole entire room because if I can see the baseboards where the baseboards meet the carpet in the corners of my room and in different spots around the room, like little baseboard carpet moments, this sounds so strange, but it's true. I'm telling you, it's totally true. You will feel like your room is so much more clean and so much more put together. And as a counterpart to this, you don't want anything sitting on your floor, just like a one-off thing on the floor or like a, a collection of things on the floor. For instance, I had some binders that were leaning against my bookshelf on the floor and I just hadn't found a home for them yet. So I was like, okay, I can just live here on the floor next to my bookshelf. But when I got a cupboard, I bought a cupboard for my books because I felt like it was too visually stimulating to me to be able to see all of them at the same time. I can see some of them, but not all of them. And when I moved these binders into my cupboard off the floor and I could see my floor again, it was like this biggest breath of fresh air. Oh my gosh, it was so wonderful. So if you feel like your master bedroom needs a lift, it's the floors. The floors are money, you guys. Okay, something else that I found was I didn't have anywhere comfy to sit except for on my bed. My office is in my bedroom. I'm using my the desk as my footboard of my bed. So I'm facing my master bed right now. Like I can kick it with my feet. If I extend my feet, I'm kicking my bed. I'm facing my bed. And then behind me is what you see in a lot of my videos. It's my backdrop. Like I have my dresser. I have a beautiful picture. I have some plants. It's awesome. I love it. I love this setup that I have going. But it's not super comfy to like lounge and hang out at my desk. And I didn't want to lay in my bed all the time if I was like reading or uh, wanting to play my guitar, things like this. So I got a bench. I got an upholstered bench and it's been lovely. I've had it in my room for one day and I totally love it. And I bring it in and my little four-year-old is like, mom, 
Thank you for getting this bench so I can jump from your bed to the bench. And I was like, you're welcome. No, actually what I said was, this is not a jumping bench. Nobody's allowed to touch my bench, only me. And he looked at me and just laughed and then jumped onto my bench. And I let him because I think benches are for jumping too. Anyway, <laughs> I love this bench. Got it from Wayfair. Holla. Okay. Floors, bench. Awesome. And then the third thing that I did, this, this was a game changer for me. I had a bunch of stuff under my bed, mostly stuff for intentional house, design ideas, research studies that impacted me during my grad program. Uh, lots of cool stuff that I'm excited to share with you guys, but it all had this eventually like quotation mark around it where it was like, I'm going to probably need this eventually. I'm going to need this in my parenting. This could be cool. I'll create something with this eventually. And I really value that actually. And I am producing content more regularly now than I have in the past. You know, when I had like teeny tiny babies and was doing little infant mothering hardcore, I'm in a different spot now. I'm really, I'm working through this, this uh, collection of awesome inspirational stuff. But I found that a lot of it, I just needed to take a picture of and remember, like I'm keeping a file on the cloud of all the great ideas for content. I don't need to keep them under my bed anymore. And that was so liberating. So liberating. Oh, and then bonus, a couple bonuses here. I bagged all of my cords in Ziploc bags. Do you guys have a cord drawer where you're like, I know that I need this charging cable. I know that I need this like headphone connector jack. For those times that we're traveling, we want to watch the same show and we want to connect into the same device and then have it be a splitter so different people can uh, connect into it. I know that we're going to need this charger for the thing, the humidifier, the whatever it is, but it just is a messy drawer. I had this drawer. I bagged all of these cords in their own separate Ziploc bags and put them in the drawer. So now when I need a cord, it's so easy. I just open my drawer and I can take out the ones that I don't need and nothing is in a knot. And while they're not like perfectly organized Marie Kondo style in a row in a container in my drawer, they're so much more easy to get to. And I didn't realize how much emotional energy this drawer was sapping from my body on a regular basis. It was just like, and that's the drawer that I do not ever want to open. And I was avoiding it and I didn't even realize it. But now that it's beautiful, now that it's organized and put together, ah, I feel so good. Just feels so good. I feel like the cobwebs of my brain are being cleared away. Did you know that there's research about how decluttering your house can help you lose weight? I'm not even kidding you. Isn't that amazing? So there you go. That's fun. Okay. So then my second bonus for you, this idea that I will swear by for the rest of my life. And it is let the husband have a spot. I know this sounds so funny. It's like one spot. You can have one spot dear, and the rest of the spots are my spot. That's not what I mean. What I mean is I'm not going to control how he does his clothes. I'm not going to control what he puts on his nightstand. Life's too short, man. I just, I want to let my husband live here with me. I want him to be with me. I want to share space with him. I want him to be able to do his thing and I want to be able to do my thing. And if he needs help and I'm happy to suggest things or be like, do you need help with this or that? Or do you want an organizational thing? And sometimes he says yes. And sometimes he says no. And you know what? That's okay. I have decided that the way he wants to live his life, I support that. And I don't need to worry about that. And I um, am not put together enough myself. Like there's lots of things that I could do. <laughs> personally to improve my organization if I'm getting an organizational hankering. So I don't need to micromanage him. And it feels so good. 
to have let myself off the hook for that particular task that I think I felt pressured by for some reason in my brain. So there you go. Those are my master bedroom little tips and tricks that I've discovered this week as I have been deep cleaning and decluttering my own room. So fun. I hope you do that. I hope you do that this week. I hope you do that while you're listening to this podcast. Go clean out a drawer while you listen. All right. Now I want to share with you my little lifesaver of this week. Every week I like to share with you something that's made my life awesome that I feel like has been just a little spark of joy (laughs) along the life journey this week. And this week, it is my Berkey water filter. This is in no way sponsored. None of these little lifesavers are. These are just little things that personally I have found love in. (laughs) So I want to share it with you. In case somebody needs an amazing water filter, the Berkey is for you. So it's tall and it's a cylinder and you fill it up from the top and our sink doesn't extend, like the, the faucet doesn't extend long enough to fill up the Berkey. So I have to fill up a pitcher of water and then like lift it up and dump it up high into my water filter probably once every few days. And seems annoying, but I love it. I love this water filter so much. It has a charcoal filter. It has a fluoride filter. I feel like any water in the world that I encountered, if we were in an emergency situation, I could throw it in my Berkey and have the best water in the land. I just love the Berkey. And the reason it makes my life happy is because, you know, sometimes like water, tap water gets like a funky taste. Goes through a couple days of like funky just occasionally. And you're like, what am I drinking? This feels funky. My Berkey is so good. I love the taste of the water and my husband loves the taste of the water. And this, you guys, is a feat. We <laughs> we do not agree on water preferences. I didn't know this was something that you could like disagree about with somebody else. <laughs> but he is like a arrowhead kind of guy. And I'm more of like a Dasani kind of girl. And while I can't really tell the difference between them. He definitely can. And he definitely doesn't like Dasani. So, and I, and I, I like it. I like it a lot. I'm kind of more the person that likes the water bottle than the water inside of it, except for it's nasty, if it's nasty tap water, right? Right. So the Berkey fills both of our needs and it also fills our reusable water bottles. So we're not using plastic water bottles and we just feel like the world is a better place in our house when we use <laughs> our Berkey. Okay. You can go look them up. So good. They have different sizes and, uh, we have one of the mid range sizes. I have, I think it's called the Royal Berkey, the Royal Berkey. It's wonderful. We have a cute little stand and the kids can get to it. And yeah, it's just so good. Okay. Little lifesaver. You guys, if you have a lifesaver that has made your life wonderful, please let me know. Send an email to carly at intentionalhouse.com and share those with me. And I would love to feature your little lifesaver here on the podcast as well, because you know what? We got to help each other out. When you're at home, when you're living your life, you just need a little, a little lifesaver every once in a while. And maybe your lifesaver will save somebody else's life. And that is the best of all the feelings. Okay. Today's topic, we're talking about homeschooling, schooling at home. And, uh, you know, we're just coming off the coronavirus pandemic situation where we have all lived 
at home and schooled at home more than maybe we initially thought that we would. Uh, my family has been homeschooling since forever. My oldest is almost eight years old now. And so, you know, not forever. For the past however many years, six years, I think it's been, that I since I decided to homeschool. Um, but all of us have become homeschoolers. Welcome. Welcome to the tribe. You are now part of it. And there are some things that when you're trying to school at home, when you think about, will make your life so much easier. So I wanted to kind of go over the things that have made a difference for us and talk through kind of our journey with homeschooling and the way we kind of approach school and then how our house supports that. Hopefully this is helpful to you and hopefully it sparks something in your mind that helps you help your kids, whether you're homeschooling them or if you're just helping them with school at home, maybe like homework, or even if you're just reading to them. Uh, these are ideas that you can incorporate no matter what your situation. And of course, feel free to tweak them as suits you and as suits your family as always. So our homeschool journey started when my oldest was about two. I have three little boys. They are eight, almost eight, and almost six and four. So we are still a young fam when it comes to raising the kids, but something about homeschool struck my heart in a way that I couldn't walk away from. I never thought that I would be a homeschool mom. I mean, like, not only did it not really appeal to me, it just like never even crossed my mind. I was public schooled all the way through. And I love school. I love school. I love learning. I love my friends. I love the whole atmosphere. I love the dingy, smelly high school smell that I went to. <laughs> my school was built in 1914. So when I was there, do math really quick, it was like almost 100 years old. And they were just tearing it down and building a brand new school. So I was there when we were in both buildings. And then we transitioned eventually to the new building, which was so super swanky. But this old building was like brick and I'm sure like so much asbestos and so much like crazy stuff, but it had nooks and crannies and tunnels and back staircases that led to random classrooms that were added on at some point. Uh, there were stories of kids like sleeping on the roof and some that would get in trouble with the cops and some that would write amazing songs up there. You know, you just hear these stories and uh, the, the school's legendary. So I not only like loved the school, like the building lover and me loved the school, but I loved education. I loved my experience with public school. So I was not inclined toward homeschooling. It was not at the forefront of my mind. I had some great friends in college that were homeschooled and I always like elbowed them and teased them like, oh, homeschoolers, you silly people. And then, and then I had my first baby. And then I saw some of my cousins schooling their children at home and some fire lit within me that thought like, I want to, I want to do this. I want to see my kids learn. I want my kids to be like my cousin's kids where they can play with anybody of any age and they can ask me questions. Even though I'm an adult, they can assimilate information and then they play what they learn. I went on a trip with my cousins and uh, we went back to Boston. It was amazing. And I had, I was pregnant with my first baby when this happened and we were with their children and they had four, four children each. And it was just a big party. And I was there mostly to help. And it was so fun. I was extra pair of hands and I just learned so, so much. 
Um, what I learned was when you teach your kids from a place of passion and a place of inspiration and a place of great storytelling, they, they assimilate it, they suck it up, but then they play it. My little cousin's kids, my first cousins once removed, if you will, they would gallop all around Boston playing Paul Revere. And they would yell, the redcoats are coming. And they would enact all these stories that they were learning about from their moms. Um, and it became part of their souls. <laughs> they just were the revolution. They were George Washington. They were all these, you know, amazing people. And they had these battles. We saw the places and they were able to become the people and imagine. They were imagining so much. And I saw the way that it felt so easy and it looked so easy to them. Like you, we just presented them with stories. And I say we, because I was an adult in the group, but I just watched my cousins <laughs> present these stories or we'd read different plaques or we'd walk along the freedom trail and, oh, they just soaked it in. And I realized school doesn't have to be um, a bore, a chore, or a struggle. Granted, I'm not saying that homeschool is never any of those things, but it did light a fire in me of something so cool. It just felt so cool to me. So I started reading books. I read Teaching from Rest. I love this book. It's my favorite homeschool book of all time. I read A Thomas Jefferson Education. And I kind of landed in this place of like, oh, I, I like these different theories, these different ideas from a lot of different people. And I wanted to put them all together in one unique ball that was the Thornock family homeschool approach. And that's what I did. And the coolest thing about homeschool is you can do it. You can do whatever you need to do. You can do whatever fits your family. You can do whatever you want. Uh, it can look more like public school. It can look nothing at all like public school. It can look like something you've never seen before specifically to to your kids. And that's kind of where we have landed. In our house, it looks like Charlotte Mason plus Thomas Jefferson education plus an unschooling twist on everything with lots of books, lots of play, lots of work. And it's so much fun. My rule is fun or I don't do it. Fun or it doesn't happen. So it has to be fun for me and it has to be intriguing to the kids. And we do hard things. You know what I mean? Like that's one of our family rules too. Is our family motto. One a uh, part of our family motto is play hard, work hard, and love hard. So I want them to work hard and to do things that feel uncomfortable if they believe in, in the cause. But if they don't believe in the cause, and if there's not an inspiration under their actions, I don't think it's worth it, especially when they're teeny, teeny, tiny, especially when they're under 10 years old. I just don't know that we need to be force feeding them education in a way that makes mom cry or them cry, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the invitation to me of homeschool, and this is not about whether or not you should homeschool, because again, I love public school and I also love homeschool, but this is about owning it for you and owning it for your family and stepping into what you feel like education can be and what you think education uh, should be for your children. Uh, my kids are at home 100% of the time with me. Okay, so like we go play outside and they have friends and stuff like that. So it's like 90% of the time, right? But our house has to work really hard for us because we are here and we're using it and we are touching every square inch of it every single day. And 
It is important that it works for us and especially for me and especially for our kids. And the reason that I emphasize that is because sometimes we feel like we have to either have a house that works for us or we have to have a house that works for our children. And when it comes to homeschooled, it can be like, I have, I have to, we get out our have tos. I have to have all these books right here. I have to have a table for them to do yada, yada. I have to have the art, that stuff. I have to have the, have to have the, you don't, you don't have to do anything. If you want to do things, own your want, own your wanting of things. Wanting is a beautiful thing. It's wonderful to desire, to have a vision of something that you would love to build and create, especially with homeschool, especially with your house. So lean into what you want and then ask the question, how can I make this work for us? If I want to teach my children how to watercolor, how can I make this work for us? Am I in a rental with white carpet? Once I was in a rental with white carpet with young children. The carpet did not stay white for very long, unfortunately. But if I want to teach my children to watercolor in the rental with white carpet, what do I need to do to make that happen in a way that won't drive me crazy and won't cost me a ton of money? Right? These are reasonable questions. But so often we just stop at, I can't do that. I have white carpet. I can't do that. I don't have anywhere to put the books. I can't have books. I can't, I can't, I can't. And isn't it so fascinating that our I have to's so quickly turn into I can't. Whereas if you turn your I have to's to I would like to, and then your I can'ts turn into how can I's. So think about what are you telling yourself that you can't do because of your house or your limitations physically? And how can you turn those into I want to's? And then how can those I want to's turn into how can I's? And your brain gets to work on whatever we tell it to do. So if you ask your brain, how can I teach my children to watercolor in this space that I have with the circumstances I'm in, your brain will find you some answers and your ears will be peaked for any sort of ideas that may come your way. Maybe you only watercolor outside. Maybe you watercolor in the bathroom. Maybe you get just paints for the tub specifically. Have you seen those tub paints? Those are really cool. Maybe it's any number of things. Really, when it comes down to it, how we solve our problems with our houses is much less important than the way we think about them. And this is something that bleeds beautifully into the research about homes. One of my favorite theories about homes and environment is that there is this affordance potential of all the things in our homes and our homes itself. Affordances are just invitations. They're invitations or suggestions that we can make with our homes and the way we decorate. We can't ever force anything on anybody, but we can invite. And specifically with our children, and specifically when we're wanting them to love learning, we're wanting to invite them to get deep in their education, to learn and to solve great problems and to ask really good questions. We can invite this and suggest this with our homes and when our homes combine with our attitudes in an invitational sort of way, oh, that's when things get fun. That's when things get fun. So start thinking about what invitations can I make with my house that encourages the behavior that I really would love to see or encourages the character development that I would really hope to instill in my children. Isn't that the most important kind of education that we're giving our children at home? The education of character and the education of real life. The education of love and the education of relationships. 
How am I inviting these things with my home? Is there space for my kids here? Are they learning how to make mistakes and solve problems? Are they learning how to break things and fix them? Both physical, emotional, spiritual, social, relational. Homes are the the arena for making big mistakes, playing big, and failing big. And that, my friends, is how we learn, is we fail fast and we fail hard and we get back up again and we don't make it mean anything except for we're learning. Does your house allow your children to learn? Does your house allow you to learn? Do you feel like you can learn with and because of your house? What are you learning? Are you learning how to create? Are you learning how to set the tone? Are you learning how to be comfortable? Are you allowing yourself to learn how to be comfortable? So often I talk to my clients and they say things to me like, oh man, we've been on such a tight budget for such a long time. We've just made do with these hand-me-downs and I don't like how it looks. It doesn't feel cohesive. It's not my style. It doesn't represent who I want to be. It doesn't represent even who I am right now. But I feel like I should use them. I feel like I have to have them in my house. How interesting is it that we don't allow ourselves to learn, to grow, to experiment, to play, to fail with our things because we're so afraid that nothing else will come or somebody will be offended or we won't be good stewards. All of these things are great considerations, but what if I want to be a good steward turned into how can I be a good steward with the circumstances that I have now? Maybe it's a little bit more income. Maybe it's a different taste that you've developed over the last few years. Maybe it's you're in a different life stage now, or maybe it's just you have an appreciation for things in a different way than you used to. And maybe your things no longer are working for you in the same way that they used to work for you. It's okay to pass those things on to somebody else who might need them, just like you did. And then to evolve yourself into a newer, different, growth-oriented version of you. Does it have to be the end-all be-all? Does it have to be the sofa that lasts throughout the century? No, it doesn't. But as we make intentional decisions and decide that our house is the very clay with which we learn how to learn, then we're free. Then we don't have to be right. Then our houses don't look have to look a certain way in order to be a good person. Our houses just are. You'd never look at a clump of clay that hadn't been turned into anything and be like, eh, ugly. (laughs) You'd be like, oh, evolving. And what if we could see our houses and everybody else's houses just as this evolvement, this learning experience, this clay in its raw form waiting to be shaped. And even those houses that we feel like are already beautiful. And even those other women that we see on Instagram and Pinterest that seem to have it all together and seem to have their houses designed and seem to have this creation created, they're still living their very alive lives (laughs) in their homes. They are still growing. They are still having children who are growing. They have relationships that are evolving. They're having trends that they appreciate more than other trends. 
They have personalities and they will change. And so homes need to be this evolving experimentation laboratory of beauty and of connection or else they are dead. We don't want to live in a dead home. We are alive people. And that, my friends, is the very essence of learning at home, is the life of learning. So when you have this desire inside of you to help your children learn more in a scholastic way in your home, there are a few things that you can keep in mind, both for the room in which they are learning. Maybe it's a homeschool room, but maybe it's your dining room table. And with kids, you guys, they learn everywhere. You can't just say, this is the place for learning. Nowhere else are you allowed to learn. Learning is the kitchen. Learning is the bathroom. Learning is their bedroom. Learning is the craft room. Learning is outside and especially outside. Here are some things that you can think about as you're setting up your house with this lens of learning. First is zone it out. I like to zone with my pencil and a rough floor plan of my house. You can get out your blueprints if you want, but you can just kind of sketch. It doesn't have to be to scale. Just kind of sketch in your rooms as if you were a bird looking down on your house. You can do each floor separately on separate sheets of paper. But just as you're looking down at your house or even your one room, draw a rough outline of the shape. You know, like when you were a kid and you laid on the sidewalk and somebody like traced you and it didn't look like you at all and you had a teeny tiny head and like your shoes were ginormous. That's fine. That's what we're going to do with your house. Pretend like you're drawing a chalk outline of the room of your house. It doesn't have to be perfect. There's going to be parts that are weird. But you just want to get a rough outline of zoning. Now, here's how you zone. You can take a colored marker, colored pencil, whatever you want. And after you have your footprint of your house, just draw little circles of where you'd like little activities to happen. So if I'm looking at my bedroom, since I've been working on my bedroom this week, I would draw a square. My room is very square. On the southwest corner is my door and my closet on the same wall. And on the northeast side of my box here is my window. So I kind of draw in these markers. I kind of mark them out so I know where things are. But then I just start zoning. Like, I think my bed would be like to go about right here. And I do like five little circles all where I would want my bed to be. Just, you know, like sketching the same circle over five times. And then I would like to relax somewhere. Where would my relaxation zone be? A little circle. Where's my work zone? A little circle. Where would I like my storage zones to be? One, two, three, however many you need. Where would I like my visionary zones to be? Where can I remind myself of who I want to be and where I'm going and uh, a a great place to display art? Where is that going to be? Just kind of zone out what you want your room to be used for. Those are your categories. And then just do little bubbles. See, And they can overlap. Some of them can be the same bubble if you need a space to be transitional. But just kind of figure it out. And then put it to the side and do it again. And mix it up. Put your bed in that place you'd never put your bed. Why not? It's on a piece of paper. And do this three or four times. 10 times for each room until you get a handle of like, oh, this is how I could envision it flowing. This is how I'd like these things to to, uh, fit with one another. This is kind of how I'd like the puzzle to be. This is not the time where you're measuring out exactly how big your bed is and putting in exact nightstands and drawing the exact outline of the exact dimension of the the exact rug you're going to put in. Nope, this is just very rough. Like about here is about where I want to do this activity. That's all we're doing. Now this is helpful 
because it helps us get in the mindset of what we will need where when we want to get more detail-oriented. If you're zoning for schoolwork, if you're zoning for learning, consider what zones will be helpful to focus in. Is your kid the one that likes to look out the window and that helps them focus because there's enough stimulation and enough air and movement that they can get their brains to work? Or is your child the kind that needs a dark closet with one single lamp shining exclusively on the word that they're trying to read? Do they need more stimulation? Do they need less stimulation? How can you help them focus? If you want them to read, what kind of environment elicits reading invitations? And where? As you're zoning, it's just like where. Is it a corner nook? Is it a big chair somewhere in the middle of the room? Draw your circle. Label it reading. What about creating, imagining, play, independent access to things? What about independent play? Maybe somewhere where you can see them but not be involved. And most importantly, where are you? Do you have a place where you can be in their learning zones where you're accessible but maybe not hovering and micromanaging? Where Where is your chair? Does your chair travel? Does it roll? Do you sit in the corner? Do you sit in the kitchen and look in? This is up for, for you, you, for you to decide. You get to decide these things. This is totally, completely yours. And it's so fun to zone this out because you'll do it three to 25 times, right? With different bubbles. And eventually you'll come to the truth for you. You'll, you'll just feel the difference of like, oh, I know I like this better here. And then we roll with it. From there, you'll fill in the zones with specific furniture pieces. So in my zone of focus, I need a desk and a chair. Or maybe you need a big lazy boy recliner. Whatever your kids need, just kind of sketch it in, a little bit more detailed, and then you go shopping, right? You know you need a lazy boy recliner. You need, the, you need it to be the rough dimensions, two and a half feet by two and a half feet, and reclining out to five feet. You know it will fit, and then you try it out. You could even tape it out before you purchase if you want to and see how it feels in 3D real life. You could hire somebody on Fiverr to mock it up for you in 3D. All these things are so super fun. So super fun to do. So as you go from zoning to determining exactly what you need, the specific products you're going to purchase, the props that you'll be using for learning. And then as you visualize it in more of a concrete way and purchase and then install, that's how we make an environment come to life. Now, think simply. Because more does not mean better, especially when it comes to learning, especially in our homes. It can get so cluttered so fast. Moms will get overwhelmed. Kids will get overwhelmed. The weight of it can be crushing. So be very, very, very exclusive on who you invite to your learning party. And especially the non-living invitations you'll be extending to the things in your space. What books do you actually really need? Do you like them 10 out of 10? Are they a home run? If not, mm, I'd consider getting rid of them. There is so much in the world that is not the best. It could be good. It could even be better, but it might not be best. And I think that our child's education and our living space is sacred enough that we need to find the best. It's okay if you try things out and halfway through you realize it's not the best. 
then you pass it on to the next family. It might be the best for the next family. But really just lean into what is the best for me and my kids. If they were to choose only five books this week to read this month, even this year, what would they be? And are those books in a place where they're being invited? Where the children are being invited to pick them up, interact with them, consume them, use them, look at them, read about them, connect with you over them? Those are the purpose of our educational materials. We have to be so discerning because the clutter is distracting. The, the good books are distracting. The best books are worth focusing on. Okay? So my invitation to you is to leave, leave these breadcrumbs around your house for the kids to discover. And in order for them to qualify as a breadcrumb, they have to be a focal point. There has to be space around them. In art, we talk about negative space. And this is the concept of it. it's not the thing itself that we're talking about. It's about the space around it that we're creating. You need to create negative space around everything you want your kids to pay attention to. This goes for their scheduling. This goes for their toys. This even goes for their clothes. If you want your kids to pay attention to something, create negative space around it. So often I see these cute Ikea bookshelves, you know, the ones that sit up against the wall. They're kind of shaped like a J and you can put the books facing outward so everybody can see their cover on these shelves. They're brilliant, but we pack them full of 70 trillion books. So if ever a kid wants a book, they have to knock over the whole shelf to get to the book. And then we're stuck with book piles all over the floor and kids who don't know how to pick them up or are unable to do so in the way that we like (laughs) and we feel frustrated and then all of a sudden the books which are supposed to be a connective learning failure experience become a negative experience if you want to put a ton of books on the bookshelf awesome but understand this is going to be a failure opportunity more than an organizational opportunity (laughs) and be okay with it If you want it to look organized more often and quickly, put less books on your shelf and create negative space around every single book. If you want your kids to be cleaning and learn the value of hard work over and over, man, put so many books on that bookshelf because they're going to be cleaning them up every single day and it's going to be a pain. (laughs) But if if the lesson is we do things that are a pain, by all means, by all means, books are a great way to teach that lesson. So here's my invitation to you today. Are you a homeschooler? Do your kids do homework? Where are they learning? I want you to consider where they're learning and and what they're learning. And then create a place where they can totally maximize that learning. And then the second part of this invitation that I have for you today is to reverse it and think, what is your house teaching your kids? What's the default message that they are receiving, both scholastically, but also in every other area of their life? when they're interacting with your house, what lessons are they learning? Are they learning, sit down, shut up, don't make a mess? Are they learning, fail here, live big, be creative? Are they learning, independence is key and interdependence is better? Are they learning, books are fun? Are they learning, don't touch our books? (laughs) Do you like the lessons that they're learning? Because Really, there is no good or bad here in this question, in this invitation. It's just, do you like the lessons? Does that align with your values? Does that align with your goals? If yes, awesome. I hope so. And if not, reevaluate. 
there's no time like today to decide for yourself what subliminal (laughs) messages you want your house to be giving to you, to your children, and to your guests. And we could do this with schools, and that's so fun. Oh, man. I just love learning. I really do. I love education. I love the whole thing, and I love houses, and I love when they converge. So fun. So fun. So in every podcast, I like to answer a listener question, and today's question comes from Jane. She says, I have a dumper. Anybody else have a dumper? Yeah, totally. My kids come into our awesome toy room, and they pull everything out, and then they go to a clean space to play. What should I do? I'm going crazy. Does anybody else feel like this? I get this question from moms all the time. And you know what the problem is? The problem is not the kid dumping stuff as much as I want it to be. (laughs) The problem is not that you have not labeled your bins. I guarantee most of you have already tried labeling your bins. Uh, The problem is not that toys are not accessible. The problem is not that they are irresponsible and they don't know how to clean up. The problem here is that you are thinking something that doesn't feel good about the way they're behaving. Here's what I mean. If a kid dumps, if a kid takes all the toys out of your cute Ikea cube storage system, dumps them all over the floor, the problem is not the toys all over the floor, and the problem is not that the kids didn't obey your rule of one thing in and then one thing out and then we put it back to get the next thing out. That's not the problem. The problem is what you're thinking about that and what you are making it mean. If you're like a lot of other moms that I talk to, when kids are dumping, it makes you feel disrespected. It makes you feel out of control. It makes you feel frustrated and it makes you feel overwhelmed. Are you like this? Have you ever felt these things? I know that I sure have. I know that I totally have. Here's what I want to remind you of today. We have chosen to share our living space with children. With children who do not have a frontal lobe, who do not have decision-making qualities developed yet. They do not know consequences very well. They do not know how to control their bodies very well. (laughs) Half the time, I think their ears are turned off. You know, we are just working with what we got. And you know what? They're working with what they got too in us. So we all just need an extra five dashes of patience here as we live together under the same roof. That's the goal. The goal is to hold space for whatever our kids might bring to us in the day. As parents, as mothers who deeply care about our kids, we want to be a safe place for them. We want them to be able to come to us with anything in the whole entire world and we can respond in safety and warmth, high expectations, but very high positive affect. That means we really like them and we show it. We smile. We touch them. We don't ignore them. We don't walk away from them, repeatedly ignoring them, right? So I'm not, please don't misunderstand me that I'm saying we shouldn't care about toys being dumped everywhere, but the point of sharing a space with a child is to help them learn and to help them understand that they are valued and loved. The point of owning a home is not to keep it immaculately clean, especially if you have children sharing that space with you. If you want an immaculately clean house, 
and you have children, it will take a lot more work. And that's okay. If that's what you want and that's what you value deep down, that's what you really want to be doing with your time and your attention. I respect that completely. I truly do. And I really admire women who are very good at this, who have honed this skill. And there are things you can do to make a clean house easier for you and for your children, of course. But if you are different than that, And if you want to just share space with kids and let this be a place where they can learn and dump, then the problem is not with that. The problem that you, the frustration you experience is about how you're interpreting their dumping. And if you're interpreting their dumping to mean that they're never going to be clean and that who's their mother and this is embarrassing and I have to clean up after you and I'm so tired and you need to clean up after your own self and why am, why am I? The one who has to bear the brunt of all this fun toys. I got these toys for you. This should be fun and it's not fun. Nobody's having fun. That's your fault, mama. (laughs) That's on you, mama. (laughs) And I'm looking in the mirror as I'm saying it because, you know, when you're tired and when you're juggling a lot of things, sometimes messes feel like these, the little piece of straw that breaks the camel's back, right? But it doesn't have to be. So here are the steps that you can take to help yourself and to help your kids when it comes to messes and dumping behaviors. Okay, are you ready? First, identify how you feel. Go into your body, close your eyes. Feel it in your body. Where's that frustration coming from? Where's that overwhelm? Where's that fear of not being a good enough mom? Where does it live in your body? Is it in your chest? Is it in your shoulders? Does it make your stomach hurt? Do your feet just feel really tired or your eyes feel really heavy? How does it feel to you? And name it if you can. What's the name of that emotion? And note that how you feel is entirely based on your thought patterns. Not that it's not real. Not that you aren't actually feeling something because you most assuredly are 100% real feeling something. But note that if you're feeling disrespected by your kid's dumping behavior, that's because you're thinking that Johnny taking out the bin and dumping it out means that he doesn't like you and he's doing it on purpose to make you mad and to embarrass you. That's not true, my friends. It's usually just not true. What it, what it could mean, here's, this is the fun part, is when we, when we explore another thought that it could mean, is there a way that Johnny dumping out the bin, all the bins, could be interpreted by somebody else? Maybe another mom walks into the room and says, oh, creative, look how much fun this is. Or another mom walks into the room and is brought to tears because it reminds her of some childhood memory with her own grandmother's house. And she could make it mean that this child is so loved as she felt by her grandma. Note what thoughts are going on for you. Note what thoughts you'd like to think. And how you would like to feel. Maybe you'd like to feel like your house is so fun. And that stuff is so fun. And that all these bins are meant to be dumped and played with and enjoyed. And that's the purpose of them. Maybe that's what you want to think and how you want to feel. Maybe you want to feel calm and peaceful in the toy room. What would you need to think in order to generate feelings of calm and peace in a toy room? Maybe you need to do some things eventually to help you with this calm and peaceful feeling. But it is my belief 
that we should never design out of negative emotion. We should never design out of frustration. We should never design out of envy or jealousy or anger. We should design out of peace and love and inspiration and excitement and vision, right? We want to know where we're going and we want to be filled with this emotion of hope and intrigue and uh, motivation to move instead of reaction or fear or shame. So clean up your thoughts, clean up your feelings, clean up uh, how, how this whole process is working for you. And what I mean by clean it up is just make it pure. Make sure you're telling yourself the truth about how your thoughts are creating this discomfort that you feel at home. And once you're telling yourself the truth, you can identify where you want to go and then you can take actions that will lead you there. It's so super fun to consider that you can create whatever result you want in your house. And you can leave space if you want to for the little people running around and their big fails, especially in a room that we've designated as the learning and growing room, the play room, the toy room, right? Something that I like to do is simplify. I'm a huge simplification fan and I feel like we have too many toys. Most people have too many toys for their children. I think kids need not very much stuff. When they have less stuff, they're able to create in really cool ways that can combine toys and combine ideas and go into deep play where they have storylines that extend for hours and even days. If they have too much stuff, it's too distracting. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, come to peace with that overwhelm with yourself. Let yourself be unafraid to feel overwhelmed because guess what? Overwhelm is just an emotion in your body. It's just a vibration. It's not going to hurt you. And once you're okay feeling overwhelmed and you know you're not going to die and you know that it's nobody's fault, then you can design and simplify and take things to a, a step to a place by taking steps that feel peaceful and comfortable and quiet to your soul. That's great. And note, please, that as my mentor, Brooke Castillo, teaches, there is a 50-50 rule here where 50% of the time you're going to love what you've created at home. 50% of the time you're going to want to torch it all. (laughs) 50% your life is paradise. 50% of the time your life is crap. That's everybody's life. So lean into that when you're designing places for your kids, whether it's education room or whether it's a toy room, uh, know that there's going to be messes 50% of the time and it's going to be clean 0.5% of the time. And the rest of the time is just going to be life. (laughs) Give yourself that freedom. Okay, Jane, I hope that helps you. I know that that's going to help a ton of listeners. And I, I hope that you can lean into these feelings, create from a place of love and, and really see your desires and your children's desires as something that are compatible and feel hope about the whole entire situation, the whole entire house. That's my hope for you. If you have a question, I'd love to hear it. Again, email me at carly at intentionalhouse.com with your question. And uh, I would love to answer your question live because I'm sure if you are asking it, a lot of other people are too and could really benefit. Thanks so much for being here with me today, you guys. I will talk to you next time. Go get messy. Do you just love this podcast? There's even more housey homey family goodness to explore over at intentionalhouse.com.